reading these first four verses, and I've read a ton of commentaries and a, and, a, and a ton of books to get other opinions and things like that, and I've certainly done a lot of, of meditating and praying on these, I, I come to realize something, and I haven't seen this laid out like this, but it seems to be accurate to me. You test it for yourself. It seems to me that the first four verses of Hebrews is really a thesis statement for the whole book. Now, that's not big, huge leaps, so I'm, I'm not scared of that way that I've seen this and the way that I've understand it. I'm going to spend a ton of time on this, but this is what I mean by this. So the whole book, and this will help you, I hope, to, to grasp kind of the meta-narrative or the big picture, the big story behind Hebrews. So what's Hebrews all about? We talked a lot last week about purpose and so on, you know, what the purpose of the book was, and it was to help those who were Judeo-Christians, who uh, were Hebrews, who were Jews, who had converted to Christianity. They were toying with the idea of going back to the Old Covenant, back to the Mosaic Law Code. They were toying with, and maybe some of them had reverted back to some of those old practices and some of those old ways. And the thrust of the whole book of Hebrews is Jesus is superior to every, basically everything, Everything that you know, he is superior to everything. And not only is he just better than those things, but he is the substance of those things. Though all of those, so, so the author is not saying, no, get away from the old covenant because it's bad and Jesus is good. Don't get that out of it. No, he's saying the old covenant was great for what it was intended for. But what you need to understand is, is that the Old Covenant and all of those things were pointing forward to the substance, the one who cast the shadow, Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is, is that you need to turn or continue to turn, that you need to press into, that you need to go after Jesus because he is what all of those things pointed to. I'm fo you follow me so far? So the whole book is geared toward this. It is the fact that and it does it in many different ways. So Jesus is superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Aaronic priesthood. He's superior to the law, the sacrifices, everything. He's superior. He's just better. Why? Because he is ultimate. That's a word that you need to really grasp and write down. Jesus is supreme because he's ultimate. There's no, he's eternal. There's no, there's no greater. Everything that the old covenant pointed to he is the final aspect of it there is no there is no more there's there's no path beyond christ he is the finish line he's the goal okay the whole book is geared toward that and he's going to lay out argument after argument after argument and so it does contain a lot of warnings but all the warnings are based on the fact that jesus is greater and to move away from him means that necessarily you're cut off because there is no plan b if you're going towards christ and he is the finish line the only finish line and you turn to any other way you'll never cross the finish line does that make sense he is the finish line so I want you to look at this, and again, I'm just going to hit this out there, jot a few things down. Go look at this for yourself. I thought it was really amazing. So this whole statement right here, we're going to break it apart piece by piece, but this whole statement is really a thesis statement for that whole thing. And I want you to think about it just for a second as we, I'm going to walk through it one more time. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he spoke at one point by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
So we see that Jesus is the greater messenger. He, why? Because God spoke through prophets who just heard from God, and they spoke in relation to what God was saying. But in these last days, it's transitioned to how? To what? Speaking through a son. And if you know anything about the theme of sonship through the scriptures, is it, it is that the son carries the same power and lineage and, and nature as the father, which is going to be exact in front of his nature. It's going to be explicitly said in a minute. But the bottom line is, is that he's a greater revelation. He is one that's bringing a greater, more final revelation. So it says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. This word heir right here is showing us that Jesus Christ is where all of those promises come together. Again, Paul says that in Christ are all the, pro all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Okay, So it's, you see how it's pushing that way. Through whom also he created the world. So not only is the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, not only is he the heir of all things and the one that fulfills all the promises that have been made to God's people, but he also is God. You see what I'm saying? That he's the creator of the world. So you see this case being built of the magnificence and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the revelation. I'm sorry, buddy. I'll get better. In, in, in the revelation of what's coming forth and and not just the message but who it is giving the message that he's not a mere messenger but he's the son he's come to say what his father and through whom also he created the world he is the creator he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature this messenger who is the son who fulfilled everything because he's the creator Right? It goes on to say, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint. This word right here in Greek is character. <laughs> that's exact, that's, what does that remind you of? Character. He is, the, he is of the exact character of God Almighty. That he is God is establishing that. So not only is he a better messenger in the message that he brings, not only does he fulfill the message of all the other messengers and therefore is able to be the heir of all things, not only that, but he created the whole message to begin with. He, and, and again, I'm getting in ahead of myself. But this word right here for world is actually ionos, which is, a, this is actually ages or eons. That's where we get our word eons from. So really this will be through whom also he created the, the everything, the all, the all things, the all the ages. So the word is world, and that's fine, but it's a bigger than that. It encompasses all times, all things, all ages, all epochs, all everything. It's an all-consuming word. Does that make sense? And so all of this is, is that he's the heir of all things that he created, that he came to give the message that was his to begin with. And you might say, well, that means the Father up there. But remember, God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is divinity. Now, which is my next point is that he is the exact imprint of his nature. This is that the messenger is not just simply a carrier of a divine message, but he is the divine God came to make whole the, the divine message and to complete it all for us. 
And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So they came to try to make the universe better by carrying a message that they had received from another. Jesus Christ is the messenger who is the son, who is the creator, the one who fulfilled it, became the heir of all things. And he is also the one that holds it all together. Jesus is not trying to make it better. He is just better. Does that make sense? Jesus is not trying to make your life better. It's not like Jesus is saying, look, if you'll come to me, I'll show you how to get to life. No, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You see, Jesus is not trying to teach you how to live life better. Jesus is trying to teach you how to live. He is life. You don't go to Jesus to get life. You go to Jesus because he is life. You see how it's exalting and magnifying Jesus Christ as the end-all, be-all of everything. And it, it goes on to say, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Think about what that says here. That after making purification for sins, see, Jesus, who is God and all these things, I won't go back through them again, he was the perfect sacrifice that actually bought, brought purification. All the other messengers before, all the prophets spoke of a time when sin would be dealt with and people of God would be made pure. It never happened in the Old Testament. We'll find that out in Hebrews later on, that the blood of bulls, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to cleanse from sin. It just can't happen. But Jesus is the type of messenger that he makes purification for sins himself. So he's a better uh, purifier. They only spoke of it. He is it, having become as much superior to the angels. Uh, no, let's go back. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he purified of sins, and he sat down because it was done. We'll see that also in the, in later on in Hebrews chapter 10. You see how this is, this is encompassing the whole book of Hebrews. Because after making purification for sins, after being a sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high, basically sitting down because everything was done. He was finished with the work, and he sat down on the throne to prove that no one could undo what he did. You see it? He's the, he is the once-for-all sacrifice. There is no more need for sacrifice anymore. There can't be, which is driving toward the message that, that the author is, is showing, preaching, teaching, whatever you want to say, is that Christ is it. Don't go back. There's, there is no back. There's only Christ. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So, you know, different commentators, different things. The word angels here is the, just the word messengers. I think in the context that it's talking about um, heavenly angels, okay? If you go and read the rest of, and we will, the rest of chapter 1. So, here's the big idea. Where did the prophets oftentimes get their messages from? From angels, so an angel would show up, he'd say, well, this is what the Lord said. We see Abraham meeting with angels. We see a bunch of them in front. So this is what he's saying here. He's like, not only is the son superior to the prophets, but he's superior to the angels that brought messages to the prophets. Jesus is just superior, period. So they would have they thought that the fathers and the patriarchs and the prophets were like here. And then they would have exalted and thought that the angels were like here. And what this author is saying, that not only is he above the prophets, he's above the angels. That Jesus is as high as you can go. As a matter of fact, he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. He's divine. So that's this, this thesis. And, and going back here, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. How are we saved? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the verse that says that 
uh, because of his steadfast obedience and sacrifice, he has received a name that is above every name. This is not as if Jesus Christ is receiving something that he did not have before in his divinity. That would make him less divine. That would make him not divine. Because divinity is that you just are. That's why he always says, tell them I am. There is no lacking in I am. He's just am, right? This, is, it, 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 this has to be talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is divine. But when Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he did the work that only the divine son of God who came and took on human flesh could do. And when he did that work, that he was vindicated as God in the flesh. Remember Jesus said, uh, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had uh, with you in the beginning. I think we see that show up right here. Okay, we'll get into that later, though. My whole point is, is that the first four verses in Hebrews is giving us a thesis statement or a, uh, uh, you know, a, a big picture statement, uh, an overarching um, idea of what the whole book is about. And it's beautiful if you read that and then read the rest of the book. And as we go through the book of Hebrews and as we unpack it, I want you guys, as many of you will, some of you won't read the Bible, but as many of you, uh, as many of you will, just read the book of Hebrews once a week. You say, the whole book? It literally takes me about 30 minutes to read the book of Hebrews. 30 minutes. Now, if you're a slow reader, maybe 45 minutes, but you've got seven days. Seven days, okay? That's not hard, right? If, you do, if it takes you 35 minutes and you only do it five days, Five minutes a day. That's not hard. And just think about how much more aware you'll be of what it's teaching. If you read the whole book of Hebrews every week, and we come back in here on Sunday and we talk about it. You read it again the next week. We come back in here on Sunday and talk about it. You read it the next week. We come back in here on Sunday and talk about it. You will know the book of Hebrews, right? And you'll be picking up stuff that I'm not even pointing out, and we can have great discussions as we move through. Okay, so that's kind of some ideas that I wanted to show you there. Does that make sense on the thesis statement on one through four? Is that helpful? I thought that was helpful for me because as I read the book, I, what I try to do is I try to get a big picture. I want to know what the book is about. And then as I read through the book several times, I can start to plug in puzzle pieces and it starts to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I see now how that's connected together. All right, <clears throat> so let's move and let's just start to look at some verses and do it a little more uh, one at a time. Okay, <clears throat> so, all right, was that, was that helpful? Good. Okay. So let's break down some of these verses right here. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, <clears throat> whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Uh, first thing that jumps out at me is, and it goes along with the whole theme of the book, if we're riding the theme of the book, and, I, and obviously I think I am or I wouldn't be preaching it, is this transitional phase, okay? Look at these words, and I hope you can see this. I tried to make my pen bigger, but I can't make it bigger. I'm, I have to figure something out. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Now, we talked a little bit last week about the, the magnificence and the, and the wonder in the fact that God speaks. Remember, we talked about that. We're not deists. We're theists, and we believe that God is actually interacting with us, and he didn't just make us and you know, jet out that he's actually here, he speaks to us, and we know that he's been speaking to human humanity for a long time, right? So, admit, but that's not what we're pointing out right now. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Now, that was at one time. So, when was that? 
it was long ago, okay? It was long ago. This was a period of time before whatever the upcoming period of time is. That's all I'm trying to draw out here. But, you see, in contrast, in contrast, that was this way, but in contrast, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. First thing is that we have transition in times. Okay? Which I'm going to say would necessarily mean a progression. Does that make sense? Okay, this will go to help us to understand the overarching uh, message of the whole book. Okay, now, not to get too technical, and I want to be careful too because I don't want to teach so much that there's lacking of preaching. And, you know, I want you guys to understand it, but I also want you to feel the weight of it. Okay, so this goes to in how we understand the Bible and the way that we relate to the Old Testament. What we have to think in our minds is, Issues of continuity and discontinuity. Big words simply meaning what from the Old Testament carries over into the New Testament and how does it relate to us? That's continuity. It continues. Continuity. It continues from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Okay? You have different camps all over the board uh, with regards to these things. Okay? People who think that they still need to keep the Mosaic Law Code would hold to a strong continuity, that the law of Moses continues. And then you have on the other side of it, discontinuity, which would say, no, it's discontinued. And they would say, all of that was then, and we are now. And there's extremes on both sides. Where I fall is, and the understanding that most of the leaders in the church here have, I think, for the most part, is that it's a fine balance in the middle of continuity and discontinuity. And Hebrews is really going to help us to understand just how, con just how much continuity and how much discontinuity we have between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because that's what the book is all about. What from the Old Covenant still applies to us, and how does it apply to us? So see how important this book is for your life, because what do you do when you read the Old, Old Covenant? What do you do when you read the Old Testament? And you see all the laws and the rituals and the days and the sacrifices and all of this. What do you do with that? Is that for you? If it is for you, is it specifically for you? Should you keep that verbatim? You know, should you be checking the tag, you know, see if you have wool and another, you know, fiber? Uh, you know, it, it, should you be really, really careful of what you eat? You know, what, what exactly is it that carries over? How does it apply? And if those things, if it's not that it applies one for one and that we have to follow the Levitical law code as it is written in the Old Testament, but you still think it applies, is, is, is not a common catchphrase of Christians that, the, that, the whole, that every book of the Bible is applicable to, in every generation? Well, I think that's the case. So we have to ask the question, okay, then when I read the Old Testament, 
What am I supposed to get out of it? How am I supposed to understand how it relates to me? What, how am I supposed to use it? What does it do in me? We'll answer a bunch of those questions as we move on. But here what I want to see, show is, is that if nothing else, we understand that there is a transition in times, and I will say a progression. So in the last days it was one way, but it has tra tra transitioned in this time, and now it is at least a different way. With how, how much continuity or discontinuity you hold to will gauge how much different it is. So some would read this and say, well, at that time he did it that way, but that's dead and gone now. It was, it was ridiculous. He threw that away, and now God has spoken to us through his son, so we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Do we hold that? Absolutely not, we don't. So we would see this really as this is how the seed began, and this is the flower that burst forth. Okay? Okay, so now, two, that I would say that this transition in times and progression meant, now this is going to be, uh, I think you'll get it as we go along, but a, also a transition in administration. So at one point, there was authority coming from God in one specific and certain way. And that was the way that we understood how to relate to and how to obey and how to have a relationship with God. Okay? But in these last days, and we'll talk a little bit about the last days, what is that? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now... Is it, does it mean that we're not to listen to the prophets anymore, but that we are to only listen to the, to the Son? We just talked about that a little bit. No, I don't think that's the case. But what it's saying is, is that he who carries the authority to the greatest degree is the Son. He is the heir. He is the one. So those that came before him and spoke the divine word of God, they spoke Theonustos, that's scripture too, those are now understood through the greater revelation of the Son. The administrations have changed. There's a new head. Not that there was ever a head other than God, but as far as revelation being given to mankind, it came at one time in one way, but in these last days, and I'm going to say that the last days are the days leading up to the second coming of Christ. We are now in the church age. We are in this age of faith, and I'll break that down as we get into Hebrews, by covenants. So we have uh, different covenants in the Old Testament leading up to the New Covenant. In the book of Hebrews, we'll talk a lot about the New Covenant. And so we understand these ages unfolding in relevance to the covenant time that we're in. So anyway, we won't get that far ahead yet. But at this point, we see that God has been working in one way, moving towards something, and in these last days, when the last word is coming, the final salvation is coming, the, the faith is here, the last sacrifice, the last high priest, the last uh, offerer, the last, the last anything, that Jesus Christ, the finality is here, and that supersedes and gives us a way to understand the inferior or the one that was before, the inferior messengers. So it's a, it's a transition in administration. Now, that's going to be important because 
you'll need to be able to see that we're moving, that they were moving, and all of human history moved from one covenant out of that covenant into the new covenant. And later on in the Hebrews chapter 8, it says, and that which has come is, that which was, is becoming obsolete and ready to vanish away. And that's speaking of the old covenant, okay? So, let's, con let's continue on. Okay, so we see that there's these transitions. We see that God is speaking to us, uh, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now, again, we've already talked a little bit about this, but what is this? And I was reading this, I was like, Lord, you know, and I read commentaries. I'm like, well, what, what is this? Okay, what, the, whom you appointed? So, you know, my brain, I think too hard sometimes, at, at least in this. Sometimes I'm just stupid. But in these things, I'm trying to nitpick it apart so much that sometimes it just clouds me. And actually, before I came in here to preach today, I was like, Lord, don't let me get so caught up in minuscule details that don't really matter that the people are just sitting there like, what is he talking about? So I was reading this, and I was like, air. And so I'm starting to read. I'm like, whom he appointed. So was Jesus like inferior, and he needed to be appointed to this, you know? And that led me down this rabbit trail of other things. And what I, what I settled on, and, and after reading a bunch of things, I think this is, this is beautiful, and it's, it's divine, and it meshes and harmonizes with the other scripture, is that the Father and the Son have always existed, the Holy Spirit too, they've always existed from eternity past to eternity future. There is no time for all of eternity. They, they, they are the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, in some where, some whatever you can't say some time in eternity because time doesn't exist in eternity because it just is that the father son and holy spirit decided to do this thing okay they decided to create mankind they decided to for it to unfold in a certain way they decided that there would be uh, a creation event in which uh, the Father created through the Son as the Spirit was hovering over the waters. They, they had a, a, an eternal agreement between uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit about what that would mean and how it would work itself out in redemptive history. And as we walk through the Old Covenant, as we walk through the Old Testament, we see these things. We see the creation event in Genesis. We see the flood and, the no, and, and this beautiful picture of salvation pointing to the Messiah who would come and, and Noah building the ark and they having to go into this ark and they make it through this, uh, you know, this chaotic event that destroyed the whole world. We see <clears throat> all of these different things. We see Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham that he would be uh, a father of many nations and his descendants would be uh, as numerous as the sands on the shore, the stars in the sky. And he makes this promise to Abraham. This is where I'm going with this. He makes this promise to Abraham and to his seed. Now, that's going to be very important later. Now, what does that mean? What is a promise to your seed? What does your seed become when there's a promise made to him? Huh? An heir. Yeah, seed is a child, but when there's a promise that he is going to receive something and it cannot be changed, that child becomes the heir of that promise. That divine <clears throat> conversation somewhere in eternity was that Jesus Christ would be the member of the Trinity, of the Godhead, who would be appointed 
the heir of all things, which further means that he would be the promised seed in which all of the promises of God would be fulfilled and flow downhill to anyone who would have faith in him and by having faith in him become heirs as well. Do you see how that works? So we know from Galatians chapter 3 that he actually lays out that, and he quotes the Abrahamic uh, covenant, and he says, we know that it was, you know, the promises were made to Abraham's seed. And he even points out that it does not say seeds, plural, but it is singular seed, and he names it, and that seed is Jesus Christ. Many people think that Israel is the seed of Abraham. It is not. Israel was a, a nation that was set apart to be the, the physical people of God on earth, but even physical Israel was a foreshadowing people pointing to what, who Jesus would be. Where all the places that Israel failed as a child of God, Jesus prevails and proves to be true Israel. That Jesus Christ is appointed the heir of all things. So there's a transition in times from one time to another time. There's a transition in administration from one way of doing things and one party leader okay Moses is going to be kind of exalted up and lifted up as the as the leader of that party that's the mosaic administration the mosaic covenant okay and now we see Jesus emerging as the final word so there's been words coming it was authoritative you listened to it you took your cues from it and you that that was the administration in which you lived but in these last days, there, there come no more days. In these last days, God has spoken through his son who carries all the weight and power and authority that his father does. And now you listen to him. You don't listen to this anymore for what it is. You listen to him and you take cues from him on what's now and what that was about, which is what Hebrews is going to do and say that through the son, we understand this over here in a different way, in a greater way, not in a way that makes this null and void and as if it was sinful and lies. No, but in a way that opens this up and helps us to understand what all of that was about in the first place. Does that make sense? Okay, so we have a transition in administration, but here we also have a transition in fulfillment. All of, the prom all of the promises, all of the salvation, all of the sin being taken away, all of the oneness with God, all of God is your father, all, all of that, all of that was only ever anticipated in the Old Testament. It was all only anticipated in the Old Testament. As we move through Genesis all the way to Malachi, all the law, all the prophets, everything that you could possibly imagine, all of the messages about the promised land, all of the messages about making you into great nations, all of these things about every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all of this salvation talk, all of that never came to fruition in the Old Testament. It never did. And God made promises to Abraham. He, that, that, mosaic, that Abrahamic covenant was not based on contingencies. 
It, it never said, Abraham, if you do these things, I'll, I'll do these things. In the Mosaic Covenant, it was, a, it was a covenant of works. It was contingent. It was based on their behavior, their obedience. If you obey me, then I will be your God and you will be my people. If you are careful to walk out my ways and my statutes, then you will be blessed. In the Abrahamic Covenant was, you will be blessed. It was a one-sided promise from God to Abraham that was never fulfilled in all of the prophets in anything before. But in these last days, Jesus Christ has been appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. This heir of salvation, this heir right here, he is the rightful heir of all the promises of Abraham. And what comes through that is, is that through rebirth in Jesus Christ, those, all of those promises, all of those prophecies, all of those foreshadows, all of those types find their grand fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him are made accessible to us uh, through him. All right, I'm told administration is spelled wrong. Oh, I forgot an A. <laughs> All right. I get in a hurry up here, sorry. All right, so, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay, so, you know, we're kind of pushing through the first two verses right here. Sorry, I'm embarrassed. I know you're a teacher, and you're getting your doctorate, so. <laughs> hey, at least y'all know I'm just one of you guys, right? We're just studying the Bible. That's all we're doing. All right, so we see just in these two verses right here, and there's so much more than this. This is just the stuff that I thought was just super relevant and helps us to understand where the book is going, right? So long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's a transition there from one way of speaking to another way of speaking, and it's not like it was in the old times. Something has changed. And we see that part of it is the trans uh, transition in administration, right? And that we understand now we're not under these other messengers, but we're under the son. Now, if, you, if you're paying attention, you're asking a question. Hold on a second. That God spoke in these last days by the apostles. And this is the key point, too. That the prophets and the apostles are the parallel images of one another from the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the prophets in the Old Testament were the bearers of God's word. You know, God spoke, they wrote, that's what the word of God is. In the New Testament, we have the apostles. God spoke, they wrote, boom, that's the word of God. Why did he not say that in the, you know, long ago, in many times, many ways, God spoke to, through prophets, but in these last days, he spoke to apostles? Why? I think it goes back to this transition and administration is that the the apostles word and the prophets word are both contingent upon and inferior to the son's word and not to say that the, the prophets and the apostles are wrong or their words are incorrect. What I mean is they flow from the son who is the source, who is the logos. Does that make sense? So he is the final say in all these matters. But in these last days, whom he appointed. So we see all of these, these transitions that's moving. And remember who the audience is. Is that the author is speaking to a Judeo-Christian audience. A, a, they're Jewish Christians. And they're thinking about turning back. And what he's saying, even at the start, he's saying, look, I know what you knew. But that was then. Jesus is now. I know what you understood that you were under these things, but you're no longer under these things. That was then. Jesus is now. I know that you 
thought that you were going to be the heir. See, why would, so, so why would a Jew want to turn back to Judaism? If you think about the New Testament, how it unfolds, even the disciples, they were continually asking the question, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? When will you make it known that we are the heirs? When will you bring political upheaval, take away everything that they have and give it to us? We're the rightful heirs, you see? He's saying that you're not the heirs. To go back to the, the, the Mosaic Law Code and National Israel and to, to go back to that is a movement backwards because Israel is not the true heir. True Israel is the heir. Jesus is the heir of all things. You can't go back to a nationalistic system and think that you're going to become the heir. Christ is the heir and through Christ is the only way that you can become the heir. Don't go back. You must push forward. Uh, okay, so let's move on. And we're about to close it all up. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about verses 1 and 2 and, and we're going to be done. Because if I try to get into 3 and 4, we'll be here all day. And Three people texted me that I had misplaced, misspelled. <laughs> administration okay Chris just I got it man <laughs> so let's take this point now we've had some you know some more teaching stuff looking at that let's take this now and say okay Brandon you've been talking about Hebrews you've been unpacking some stuff you've been talking about old covenant and continuity and discontinuity I don't know what you're talking about how does that relate to me okay how is this applicable to me okay so Really, it's not hard. It's not hard to understand how this applies to you. All we have to do to understand how this applies to us is to put ourselves in the position of the audience that was being written to. So, we have the exact same problems that the Jewish Christians have. They just look a little different, right? And so, the Jewish Christians, what, so let's think about where they were, okay? All signs point to that they had accepted Christ. They had believed in him, most of them. Okay? The Bible even says you should be teachers by now. right? Leave these elementary things behind. Why are you still on the milk? You should be teachers by now. That's the audience. He tells that to the audience. So seemingly Christian people right, who have a past. Their past was uh, entrenched in Jewishness. Okay? Now... Family tradition is not bad. The problem with Jewish family tradition is that it is and can be an ulterior understanding of how to have relationship with God. You say, well, that's not my, that's not my past. Yes, it is. How many of you have fathers and mothers, <clears throat> brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents who say, oh, yeah, that Jesus stuff, that's good. You should believe in him. But I'm telling you, this is how you really get pleasure. This is how you really find fulfillment. Why do you think all of you, so many of you are drug addicts or alcoholics or porn addicts or money addicts, greedy? Why do you think so many people are so overweight? You mean to tell you why? It's because they've learned either culturally or through family history that eating food brings peace of mind. But you know what? who really brings peace of mind? Jesus Christ. Or they may have taught them 
having great success in sports and academics and the job field. That's how you that's how you reach this state of oneness with God. That's how you find your purpose. And so you abandon any pursuit after God and you put all of your eggs in the basket of pursuing after your dreams of being an NFL star or whatever, right? That hope and joy and peace and fulfillment is found in some other thing other than Jesus Christ. So Paul here is talking to Jewish Christians and he's saying, look, I know where you were before. I know what your tendencies were before. I know that the things that you were doing before, you were hoping that they would lead you to this place of bliss and fulfillment and fill up all of your longings, that you really thought that God was cool with you there. But, but I'm telling you that those are dead ends, and if you continue on pursuing after your old life, it will be death hell disease and destruction it will destroy your entire family it will destroy you you will receive a greater condemnation and you need to realize that there is no path there is no finish line other than that of the lord jesus christ you think that's applicable man that's applicable so we say, you know, they said long ago many times in all these different ways and everything that God spoke. We say that, that you know, there, there was at one point a time that you thought that you were okay with God in, in some other way. But now, most of you in this room probably at least profess to know Jesus Christ. And I bet you money that almost on a daily basis, you feel your old flesh drawing up and calling you back to something else. But remember, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, who he appointed, who's the heir of all things. You know, there is no hope in your old life. There is no hope in days past. There is no, there is no use to look back in those times. There is, no, there is nothing for you there. There is no way you're going to turn back and find any blessing there. See, what was Abraham the, the heir of? He was the heir of four things explicitly stated if i can remember them all he was the heir of land of the promise of land promise of blessing the promise of great nations and then the promises of the inclusion of every tribe every tongue and every nation that's what the heir gets and so we oftentimes think that we need we're not we're not feeling this blessing we need to go back and and find our it seems like those days were better before. It seems like there's a draw. And he says, no, the heir is Christ. There is no blessing. There is no, there is no inheritance other than the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also he created the world. So let's finish all this off by this, is that there is no one who knows what you need like Jesus Christ. Why? It's because he created you. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what it is that you desire. He knows what your, your, your longings are. And he alone can fill up those things. He alone is, can sympathize. He alone is the one who knows how you were created in your inmost being and intertwined you together. In other words, there's no other place for you to go. There's nowhere else for you to go. 
in these last days. And, and what that also tells us is, is that we are, they were in the last days. We're in the last days. These last days meaning the time of Jesus Christ's uh, birth and his life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension all the way up until he comes back again. Those are the last days. All right, everybody wants to pinpoint everything, date setters and all this. That's silliness if you ask me. These are the last days, and they've been the last days since Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. He inaugurated the kingdom then. And in these last days, what are you going to look to for your blessing? What are you going to look to for your fulfillment? What are you going to look to? And unless you look to Jesus Christ, you will find no fulfillment. And I won't either. But if you look to Christ, if you look to Christ, you'll understand that you will have been, you will receive the final word of revelation that you get to, to, to have written on your heart to transform you, to give you wisdom, to give you insight, to bring you peace, to give you guidance. That that's a free gift of you, that you will be able to hear directly from the Son through His word. That you will be through Christ an heir of all things just like Him. That you get to serve through Christ, the creator of the entire world, that you get to, that you get to sit at his feet? That is mind-boggling. That is mind-boggling. So today I call you, if you've been struggling, wanting to go back, please lay that down. Lay that down at the foot of the cross and run headlong into the Lord Jesus Christ. He is on the throne and it is finished. Let's stand to our feet. And as they play this last song, I want you to just think about the message today. I want you to think about Jesus Christ being the final word, the only hope, the heir of all things, the God of heaven and earth. Respond accordingly.